Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Right, welcome back to Talking with Traders. And this time, it is a real, real great honor for me to be interviewing today's guest. Um, He's someone who was very inspirational in my career, growing up as a youngster interested in the stock market. Uh, Many South Africans, in fact, pretty much all South Africans who have a vague interest in the market will know who I'm about to speak to. Uh, I guess if we said that Murray Walker was the voice of Formula One commentary, then it's fair to say that David Shapiro is the voice of Johannesburg Stock Exchange and market commentary in South Africa. So David, welcome to Talking With Traders. It's really super to have you with me today. No, wonderful to be with you. And uh, I look forward to this. Yeah. It's been a long time. I've been looking forward to this. And, (laughs) but particularly, particularly because this is a very, very momentous week. Uh, It is the week of your 50th anniversary as a stockbroker on the JSE. Congratulations. No, thank you. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, it's it's been a long, long slog. But uh, the strange thing is that, it's 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 been a wonderful career of ups and downs. Um, you, you know from from certainly from your technicals that we go from peak to valley, and it happens so fast in both directions. But that's mm-hmm. what you live with. You know, you live with that ride, and uh, you've just got to learn to negotiate your way through it. But but thankfully, I'm still here after 50 years. I have no. Um, intention of, of of retiring at the moment. I enjoy it, which is strange because I didn't start out wanting to be a stockbroker. So, um, but but I still enjoy the challenge of every day. One never knows what's uh, what you're going to wake up to, and I find that intriguing and uh, you know very enticing. Yeah. So, yeah. No, oh, absolutely. It's a game that never, you know, it's, it's so interesting. There's always things changing. It's never a boring day or very seldom is it boring on the markets. There's always things happening. But, you know, I, I grew up um, listening to you on the radio. I'll, I'll never forget as a teenager um, sitting in, you know, in my parents' lounge, I was about 16 or 15 years old and I'd sit there every evening. Uh, you were on the radio with Alec Hogg between mm-hmm. six p.m. and 7 p.m. and there was a business show well, it's still around today in various shapes and forms and you were the you know one of the regular market commentators and some of those guys are still around with us Wayne McCurry and 
and others, but many of them have also moved on, moved overseas and what have you. So it is an honor to be speaking to you. And as I say, you were a huge inspiration to me as a youngster. And I used to hang on to every word that you said on the radio and make notes every evening furiously to, to <laughs> gather as much wisdom as I could. Um, that was, well, 1995, 1996 mm -hmm. for me. So we're going back uh, nearly 30 years, 27 years ago for me. But That's when we started, God. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know what's very interesting? I just, just I, Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but 1995, no. we never had radio before. You know, 1995, which was really the start of the internet and start of information being disseminated, up to then there were no radio programs you know, me growing up in the 19, I joined in 1970. Mm. Uh, if you weren't on the floor, that was the only access that you had to information. And I must, I must uh, credit Alec Hogg because we start, he started uh, business radio mm. and, and really developed it um, into what it is today with a lot of people coming after him. But he was the first person to really do it, you know, where yeah. where where people could hear what was happening, and that Abs was that was the exact time, nineteen ninety five. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and many other shows have come along since then. But Alec obviously still is the, the champion of business radio and business broadcasting in South Africa. But David, let's go right back even before that. Go back to the beginning of your career. You said you started in nineteen seventy. I mean, that's some 10 years odd before I was born. 1972. 1972, right. So that's what yeah. makes it 50 years this, this, mm. this week. Take us back to the beginning of your career. How did you get involved in the markets? Because you said that you weren't originally planning to become a stockbroker, but here, 50 years later, you, you are one still. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, growing up, I grew up in Greenside, but I, I think uh, playing cricket and soccer and rugby on my front lawn, I think that was my... Uh, my, my love, you know, you always wanted to be play um, cricket for South Africa or whatever. I wasn't big enough to be a rugby player, but I was a, quite a successful soccer player. But I think my love, strangely enough, was more architecture or art. And um, but, you know, when, when you leave school and our schooling in those days was, I reckon, very mediocre. It didn't really there was no counseling as far as. Uh, jobs are concerned. You know, some chaps grew up and said, I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it was. And I never had direction. So I went to varsity, did a BCom, and then I qualified as a chartered accountant. And once I came out my articles in 1972, I did three years of articles, three years of BCom. And uh, as soon as I came out of my accounting articles, uh, that's when I joined the market. But you know, I enjoyed it. My dad was um, was was with Max Pollock and Fremantle. He was a partner there on the floor, mm. and that's where I joined. But um, my older brother uh, was much more into the market, and you would love this. Um, I have a book here written by James Dine, who uh, was one of the first technical analysts that mm. I knew. And my brother and his friends used to. You know, there were no computers in those days, so everything was done by hand. Yeah. They were big point-and-figure uh, uh, analysts, you know, and every day they would, you know, if the market went up a certain amount, you know, three points up, whatever it was, you know more about them mm. than I do. But, I mean, at that stage, that was the big thing. You know, they were, were – and I still have the textbook today um, wow. that, that shows me. So that, got, that, that shows you how far back I go. But I think they were more interested than I, I was. I was just a North Schlepper then. 
yeah, but I love the floor. I love the floor. <laughs> well, that, that's what, what leads me to my next question because yeah, I, I unfortunately was not around to see the floor. My career started a, a couple of years after the JSE floor closed, which is a very sad thing because those stalwarts in the market who who have been mentors to me over the years, you know, always relay stories of times on the market and just how much fun it was. Um, so I want to pick your brain and just go back to to your time on the floor and share with us just one or two of your most special memories of your of your times on the JSE and particularly on the floor. You, you know, you know what I, I always say that uh, the one part of the floor was that you were never alone it was almost i would call it a primary school many people say it was a boarding school but i mean the antics that the chaps got up to were more associated with with primary school uh, playground rather than even a high school they were very naughty but very (laughs) very funny and i think where people what people learned more than anything else was uh there was a camaraderie and um you never got too big for your boots. You know, if you started to get too arrogant or haughty and that, they, they cut you down to size. But, but what was most interesting is that they always gave you, um, they always gave you a, 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 a nickname. You know, everybody there had a nickname. And I was just recounting in a, in a presentation the other day. You know, we had a, we had a dealer. His name was Cadbury. Why, why was he Cadbury? Because he was double thick. You know, I mean, now, can you imagine today of saying someone like a double thick, you know, and then we had, you know, some of the chaps, uh, uh, we had a we had a dealer by the name of Percy Leg, L-E-G-G, and he had lost his leg. I don't know whether it was in the war, but he wore a prosthetic and they, you know, they'd always call him peg leg or something like that. Or And then you had, you know, some of the smart dealers, Robberoo, Coitus, Stompy, you name them, you know, we had um nothing was there was no such thing as pc but the, my best story and i have recounted this before was um we had bert todd now bert todd was an old timer he had been there from before the war and they called him the general and why did they call him the general and this is typical of the the floor things happen so fast because he made a mistake one day of admitting to another dealer that he had had his last stand so from that moment, he became known as a general from General Custer, you know, General mm. Custer's last stand. <laughs> but I mean, they always, you know, for years, as long as I can remember, and I joined every Friday, they used to Tom Tom him in, you know, whenever he used to come in from lunch on a Friday, they would, you know, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and it just, it was one of these traditions, you know, and every time he'd get angry on that, but um, it was, it was typical. You know, I'm sorry if I go on, but you yeah. asked for stories. Yeah. But this is the kind of atmosphere there was. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the chaps were very, na- not naughty, they were funny. So if you were looking for golden arrows, you know, you wanted to buy golden arrows, which is a listed company in those days, um, they would send you to see the general. Why? You know, golden arrows, General Todd uh-huh. Custer. And he would probably <laughs> give you a club, you know. Yeah. So obviously, Dealers never knew where. Or we had a we had a fellow in the name Bob Fowles, F O W L E S. You know Bob right. Fowles. Yeah. And there was a company listed called uh, um, Corner House Investments, C H I C, which they used to call Chicks. Right. So if you wanted to buy Chicks, they'd send you to Bob Fowles. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he'd give you a club. But it was that kind of atmosphere. And it's absolutely very. 
you know, a very friendly and you made lifelong friends there. And that's why when you listen to the old timers, the, the, the um, relationships that they built are still very, very strong to this day. Mm. But I have to just say one thing. It was probably about 150th to 100th the efficiency that we have today. It was a yeah. very, very inefficient market because everything was paper. And yeah. that made it difficult to deal. So I think that's that's the only downside. But it it you were never alone, you know. And mm. also, you always felt the pulse of the market. What I mean by that, you know, when there was things were happening, when there was a new listing, you felt, you know, the power of the market. And and uh, Garth, back in those days in the seventies, South Africa was a very big market. You know, we would. Mm. Um, we might not have time to go through it, but I mean, it was a very strong market, one of the top 10 in the world, particularly because of our mining shares, you know, which mm. were very popular at that stage. And it was a different era, yeah. but uh, it was a strong, strong market with a lot of it global attention on it. Yes. Yeah. Love those stories about the times on the floor. What one of my uh, ex-colleagues said to me when asked about the time on the floor, he said, well, if he had to sum it up, he said it was like being at school, except it was break all day. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> but you've been through, uh, as you say, half a, half a century now. Um, you've seen many, many companies come and go on the JSE. I mean, I would, I would hazard a guess that of the companies listed on the JSE today, very, very few are still in their original form that, that they were back in those days. Um, if you had the opportunity to go back in time and you could buy one or two stocks and, and know that you're going to still be there in half a, half a century's time, which two shares would you buy? That's, that's, on the JSC, it, it has to be, you know, I would have said breweries, mm. but breweries is gone. I think I think breweries was always one of the uh, probably best run businesses in South Africa. So many of the others have gone, um, you know, have been broken up and never quite lived. And right until ABN Bev came, I think breweries was an outstanding business. I would yeah. still say the mining houses, you know. Anglos has survived. I mean, it's gone through so many changes and it's not a pale of where it was. Remember, Garth, in those days, right until the 90s, we had exchange controls. So companies mm. that built up cash had to expand vertically right. uh, or more horizontally, sorry, horizontally, horizontally, not vertically. They had to go horizontal and they would start buying, you know, Anglo virtually owned South Africa. And it yeah. was only in the 90s when things broke up that they were able to go offshore and uh, sell off all their local businesses and that. So it's very difficult for companies to have, you know, maintained themselves. I think the, remember Mutual and Sunlama were only listed, uh, they were mutual companies that only mm -hmm. came in the 90s. Yeah. But I, th I think breweries would have made the cut, you know, would have, would, would have, been one of those top businesses. Remgrow has been another one. Yep. I mean, if you look at Richmond, despite the fact that everybody says they're expensive, when they were unbundled, Remgrow uh, probably started, Anton Rupert started in the 50s, 60s. And it, it also took many, many forms. There were so many different pyramids in that. But I mean, 
the underlying businesses have done well. You know, even if it, even if it was tobacco, Rembrandt tobacco and uh, the various other businesses that the family accumulated. But I think there must be a strong history around, around Remgro as well. But I think yeah. those stand out, you know, Remgro. I mean, the Ruperts are today a very, very wealthy family. Breweries, well, that was quite a widespread. And, and, and still, you know, Anglos, De Beers, yeah. Uh, still a very, very powerful business. Mm, absolutely. Unfortunately, the JSC now seems to be in a, in a state of somewhat of decline. Um, you, know, you mentioned back in the 70s that it was such a strong market and it was led by uh, mining houses and gold, gold shares and so on. Um, that has changed to, to a large extent. I mean, the mining sector of the JSC is a lot smaller than what it used to be. But just generally speaking, the JSC seems to be in a state of decline. And if I look at it, there's, there's shares leaving the market all the time, either being bought out or, or choosing to list offshore where they can attract a better rating or, um, or just companies, sometimes companies go bust and they delist for that reason. But there's very, very few new listings coming to the market. In fact, in fact, I would hazard a guess there's nothing. I don't. I'm not even aware of one in the last two years that I, that really springs to my mind. Um, what do you think about that, David? And and yeah. I mean, it's sad. What, what can be done to turn it around? Is there anything? Um, it's hard because if we, I, I was, <laughs> I was doing an exercise and I was looking at the U.S. markets. And um, if you go back 10 years, and I'm going to explain this, if you go back a decade, if you would have gone into the S&P, you know, the Standard & Poor's Index, the 500, uh, 10 years ago, uh, you probably made on a total return about 13.5% per annum yeah. over 10 years, which is big. I mean, yeah. it's massive. Mm. If you would have gone into the JSC, you've done about 8.5%. But if we take, that's in rand. If we yep. take dollars, you made one and a half percent. So I've looked, I said, hold on a sec. We've been getting poorer to the extent of 12 and a half. I know the rand hasn't depreciated that much, but what's driven the, uh, the S&P is mainly the emergence of tech mm. and the growth in tech. And that's been the big, big driving force. And it continues to be a driving force in global markets with mainly the US and China being the, the centers. And a lot of other markets have fallen by the wayside. Um, Amsterdam or the Netherlands looks very attractive at the moment as a region. There are a lot of little regions. Of that. The UK has gone through the same downturn as the JSE. In fact, I think maybe the JSE has even outperformed uh, the UK market. So mm. where, what I'm alluding to is that uh, as the world has opened up, and money flows freely and information flows, you've got to go where the money's being spent, where the growth is. And we haven't been there. We were there in the 70s. Goth, we're not there now. You know, I still don't believe we, you know, I still think we're not making any attempt to get there no. as well. So that's one element. You know, we're a very old economy. Uh, we can discuss this uh, till we blue in the face why I think there's a lot of politics around it. I think that uh, the, the economy has been handled very badly here. We were arrogant. Uh, we haven't done anything to, to address those issues. We've been very 
politicized and I'm not making, I'm making a business statement here, not mm. really meaning to be political. Yeah. So I think that's been a reason, but there's another element. So we can look at that side of it. It's important. Um, you know, if you go to New Zealand, go have a look at their market. There's a massive tech area there. You know, they've, yeah. they've opened, I, I can't believe how many tech companies there are that are, you know, that are global for a little market like New Zealand. Yeah. You know, even Australia in its little way, it's not as big as, as but but so we've never made an attempt. But the other thing, um, God has been, um, what, what was the, has been the passive investment as well. Right. You know, we've been overwhelmed and overswamped with passive investments. And as a result that uh, so many companies just are totally ignored, so many good numbers. I saw today, Long for life going, you know, and yeah. and the reason is Brian, you know, Joffy couldn't do what he did for Bidvest. He couldn't use his script to to buy other companies expand simply because his script was trading at a at a discount. So I think I I I, I'm, I, I buy passive investments, but I think that uh, um, one of the big downfalls of markets globally has been this absolute move. To you know, to passive, and you, as a result of that, you're just you pushing all those great little businesses. You're pushing them to private equity, or you're pushing them to, uh, you know, being pushing them to being held privately. You know, either mm. in a private equity fund or privately as well. So, I think we're losing the innovative side of um, of any of any economy. So yeah. don't you know, don't overlook that side as well. Mm. It's very sad. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. And if we do a little bit of crystal ball gazing now, uh, you know, you're a you're obviously a regular market commentator. Your opinion is highly respected. Um, we're sitting at an interesting point globally right now. Uh, obviously, these the, the US market in particular has had a massive run over the last decade, as, as you mentioned. Um, a lot of that has been driven to some extent by easy monetary policy, stimulus uh, by the Federal Reserve, et cetera. But all of that looks like it's now beginning to be dialed back. We've got higher rates coming um, tapering is happening of the, of the asset purchases there. So it does sort of feel like we've, certainly the beginning of this year, beginning of 2022, we've had some movements in the tectonic plates underneath the markets yeah. globally. What do you see if you're looking out, you know, for the next couple of years, five, 10 years further out, how, how do you position yourself for the markets looking that far out? <laughs> If it's, I, if it's possible to answer, yeah. I, mean, I know it's no, a no, difficult not question. At <laughs> not at all. In fact, it's, it's, it's very easy. I think that um, I've always been theme driven. Mm. And it's one of the big lessons I learned during the years that um, I've been on the market. I used to study wealth, you know, study how people made money. You know, we would get clients and say, why have they got these huge portfolios? You know, why are they so wealthy? You know, mm. and 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 one of the reasons is that they tended to buy quality companies or follow a theme and just stay with it. You know, just stick until that theme played its way out. Mm. 
Right. And I was very privileged to work for a, a man called Gus Lipschitz, who died a few years ago into his 90s. He was an extremely smart man, very, very smart. And he would study, he would study balance sheets. Uh, he was an MCOM, but he wasn't a, he couldn't use a computer. He, he even had battling, he used to battle with uh, a cell phone. But he read from, and, and got into themes. And I remember him coming and saying, listen, you know, I picked up this, that Pat Goldrick, who was running, who formed uh, Cashbolt, yes. had put so many hundred thousand into Cashbolt. You know, this was in the 90s. Right. And he said, you know, we never had disclosure in those days. It was nowhere near the kind of disclosure we have now. And he said, you know, if this man is buying, then there must be something there. And this fitted in with a theme as well that he used to say. He said, you know, South Africa, the politics are changing. This is in the 80s. You're going to have a new middle class. They're going to be buying televisions. They're going to be buying uh, cars and all of that. And so he started to buy cash build. He bought uh, Bitvest. He bought Ellerines, you know, the furniture companies. And, right. and and he just stood with it. He didn't, he didn't, you know, every, he, he didn't go off course. He would just continue to accumulate with the result that when he passed away a few years, he passed away as an enormously wealthy man. And he was a salary earner like us. You know, he was no different from you and me. But, right. you know, he didn't inherit a fortune. And that that made an impression on me. And that's what I've always tried to do is follow the themes. And I think we've got two big themes at the moment, which is uh, this, this move towards cleaner, sustainable energy. Mm-hmm. So how are we using technology to, to go about, you know, to change the way we work and live by that, you know, uh, uh, this moving to the cloud from putting uh, something under our desk to having a server under our desk, this electric cars, you know, the way that factories are automating, um, this digital payments today, you know, and the metaverse, whatever, off to space, all of these themes are very, very big, and they're going to change the way that we live. And it's there staring in your face. Don't worry about about all the noise that we're going through at the moment, you know, this passes. This is just part of the uh, just part of the uh, kind of cycles of markets. You know, right. I don't think interest rates are going to go through, and that's that's what you have to do. So I think we're in for an enormously attractive decade, and and you've just got to stay with it. You know, just just you know what's going to happen. Don't don't worry about it. the hardest thing is managing expectations and people on top of you all the time. But I think mm-hmm. there are wonderful, wonderful opportunities um, over the next decade in these companies that I'm talking about. Yeah. So you said two themes. The one you said was clean energy and all of that, yeah. which and everything mm-hmm. else I think revolved sort of spins off from mm-hmm. that. What was the second one? Well, call it digitization. I don't okay. know. These are the buzzwords. Okay. You know, it means that we're going to be producing a lot of data that people are going to use. Right. You know? And and your business, I mean, the fact that we're we're doing what we're doing now could not exist without the cloud. Yeah. You know, it couldn't exist um, without these kind of businesses. And 5G is going to be a game changer as well. It'll mm. come yeah. in a big way. So you don't have to be clever. You know, don't look for obscure kind of companies. Just look for those that are staring you in your face. Buffett used to say something. Buffett always used to say, look for fat companies, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he made an awful analysis. And I promise you, this is a true quote because I was in the meeting in <laughs> Omaha when he said, he says, and I'm not going to use, I'm not going to use the sex that he used, but he says, if you see a person standing in the doorway 
Yeah. That person is 300 pounds or 200 pounds. It doesn't matter. That person is fat. You know what I mean? That's, uh, I, know. I know it's an all, I, I was there. I promise you, you said that. And you know, and 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 that's true. You know, you know what I mean. You don't have to work it to the second decimal point. And that's the kind of companies he wants. Fat companies. You know. And if you if you look at something like um, Microsoft or Apple and those kind of they fat businesses. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter what the second decimal point is, whether they missed uh, they missed their forecast by you know the whatever it is mm. uh, you know we always we love to be obsessed with numbers you know uh, my earnings projections are 36.427 who cares you know what I mean? <laughs> just follow the theme just follow the theme yeah okay. it's a fat company it's making big profits yeah yeah okay fantastic <laughs> let's have a bit of fun david i want to mm. ask you a couple of other questions more personal stuff uh, not too mm. personal but you know i think these are the kind of things that people would wonder uh, as listeners uh, we hear you on the radio a lot we see you on the tv a lot um but Listeners and viewers often wonder, you know, what what more is there to this guy? So let's find out a little bit more about David Shapiro, <laughs> the person behind the personality, behind the voice. Um, so five quick fire questions that I'm going to ask you. First one, what type of car do you drive? You guess. Well, it's I think I, yeah, I was going to say I think it's a mini because I've seen you. I've seen you. Uh, it's my third up, mini. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen you putting pictures on Twitter of yourself and Bright Kumala driving to the <laughs> yeah, TV studios together, and I can yeah. see in the background that it's a mini. And I, I, I love the rapport that you and Bright seem to have built up. He's a he's a great guy as well. Why a mini? Why? You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, stockbrokers that uh, must be a BMW or a you know something extremely liney like that or a Mercedes. Mini's a nice small. Uh, I've never car. been a petrol head. I love the Mini, and they're beautifully built. And uh, in fact, I I've had my because we haven't been driving for so long now. I've uh, I haven't replaced my car, but uh, I've got the Paceman, which was discontinued, uh, which is like the club, and you know it's a big yeah. one. But yeah. my next one, if I go back, is going to be back to the small one again. I okay. love I love my little Cooper S. Yeah, you just bounce all over the place. It's like a like a go kart. <laughs> it's like a go kart. <laughs> all right. Second question. Second question. You you you've been on the JSC fifty years, so that means you're 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 well into your seventies now. Um, mm. Yet you are you know you're in showroom condition, David. How do you keep yourself <laughs> young and fit? <laughs> I, yeah, I look, God, I played my I played sport my entire life, from the age of five. And I still get, I get up quarter to five every morning. Right. And I just, quarter to five, uh, and every morning, and you have to have the discipline. Mm. And I watch Bloomberg from quarter to five to quarter past five, just to find out what's happening overnight, if there's any news. Mm. And then I go, I normally go for a run or um, I must say at 75, I've run a lot of marathons in my life and done a lot. But uh, so I mix it. Sometimes I, I might go on a walk you know, for an hour or otherwise mainly run. But I like to get out and I like to be in the fresh. I hate gyms. You can't okay. get, I can't stand gyms, but I love, you know, I love being outside and doing things. If I could, I'd play soccer. You know, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Third question. Um, what's your ideal way to spend a weekend? Alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I can no, get that. I'm, listen, yeah. I'm a grandfather and, I have grandchildren all over the world, you know, in Sydney, in America. 
in in Boston, in South Africa, and that. And uh, you know, that's a time to see them. Although I can't, you know, I will. I travel quite a bit in that, but I do enjoy my own space. You know, mm. I've been married for over fifty years, but I, it, that's reading time, girl. You know, yeah. that's a time that I catch up. I enjoy. I do the. I like to go through the FT. I like to go through the Economist. I like to look at Barons, you know, and Bloomberg's and the various things just to get the stories. Mm. So, I, plus, I, you know, I enjoy reading. I art. I look. I draw as well. I mean, yeah, we, we we're going to talk about that in a moment okay. about your drawing. Mm. But yeah, okay, I love that alone. I could do that as well. I also enjoy my <laughs> my own company. But I've got two small kids that refuse to let me be alone on the Can't weekends. Do that. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> Next question: Favorite place to go on holiday? I wish I could go on holiday. <laughs> I, 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 that, that's a problem when you've got kids all over the world. If you've, uh, you pretty much know where you're going. I love Sydney. I okay. enjoy Sydney, but I love New York. Okay. I think the place that I, my, my, my haven, I believe me, and you're going to laugh at this. My haven is actually the Kruger and uh, Kruger Rand, <laughs> the Kruger National Park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I love to go from north to south and I love to stay in the, in the in the game, you know, the game park itself. I like the the two-star treatment. Yeah. You know, yeah. those those old Rodol, I love that. Mm, and I know that's... it sounds there, but for well, me, just to get in a car, go from Shingwezi, you know, through to uh Litaba and those camps, I love that part. It's so peaceful, it's so beautiful. And there's nothing that I like more than is to sit on those balconies at sunset and maybe have a beer. You know, brying or something like this. Yeah, uh, I don't like the five star treatment. You know, yeah, like that's, that's, that, 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 that's for the rich hedge fund traders. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's very authentic. Yeah, lovely. The Kruger Park is a special place. And then the uh, this one, um, you're, you've been on TV and radio for such a long time, mm. as as I alluded to already. Mm. So you must have had some embarrassing moments. I mean, I know myself having, I've done a bit of radio and TV as well, and I've had a few embarrassing moments. So what is your most embarrassing moment on TV or radio? I, in fact, uh, embarrassing. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you remember uh, Roger Kebble. Yes. Roger, Brett yeah, Kebble's Roger dad. Kebble, yeah, Brett Kebble's dad. Oh. Uh, they were having a big go with, uh, on Durban Deep with Mark Wellesley Wood, who was the CEO. Mm. And Wellesley Wood had Kibble arrested when he returned from London, I think, on a trip. Yeah. And straight went straight from the airport through to jail, spent a night in jail. And the next day when he was released, I was with Alec Hogg on the radio. And this is – and uh, Kibble comes into the studio, obviously fuming, still absolutely having spent a night in jail. <laughs> but he's a – He's accompanied by his son, Guy. Yeah. And anybody who knows Guy Kevill, he played front row for the box, for Springboks. Yeah. So he's a front row. And then they had a bodyguard who, I don't know, was built as big as the Empire State Building. So mm. here you've got these three heavyweights. <laughs> and they all come into the studio. And uh, Alec is quizzing Roger, you know, what he thought. And we're yeah. starting to test him. <laughs> and seated next to me are all these chaps. And he says to me, so, David, what do you think? You know, what, what's your view? And I look at him. I say, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? Are, are you absolutely kidding me? I just went cold. I just looked. And I had to think. And all I could think about, I said, you know, 
Alec, because this is the fight between Wellesley Wood and Kevin, mm. I said, well, maybe as in the old days, they should go to, um, you know, like, 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 like Barney Bernardo or something in the old days of the, <laughs> of the, when, when JSC was a mining village or Joburg was just go into the street and beat the hell out of each other. I could think of nothing else to say, but the <laughs> last thing on earth I was going to do was to criticize Kebble, you know, and we all know what happened to the Kebbles. Yes. But um, Garth, there were many stories um, of, of guests. I can't remember the one guest who was, uh, and Alec used to, he used to, what, what's the word, wind these people up, you know, and he mm. was a very incisive journalist. And I was always in the middle. I was between the guest and Alec. And if they <laughs> let out a punch, I was the one who took it, you know. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times I used to have to duck. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah, that story with uh, Wellesley Wood and the Kebbles, I remember that. She was a very dirty mm. fight that, that happened yeah. Many, uh, yeah, many years it, ago. It, it was 2002, I think. Mm. Eventually, I think the charges were dropped. But um, it, it was a very, very you know, difficult time. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that was mm. South Africa at that stage. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that you like drawing, and that's something I, I know yeah. because I've seen some of your sketches. You are quite handy with a pencil. Um, am I right that you're related to Jonathan Shapiro? That's Zapiro, the cartoonist. Yeah, a little distant. You know, okay. his grandfather and my father were first cousins, and they were very close. Okay. Because I still have a picture of after my bar mitzvah in 1960 of going down to Charlie, that was his grandfather. And Gershon, that's Jonathan's father, was holding this little baby in his arms, which was Jonathan. Okay. okay. But um, I think as the years went by, I still, you know, I mean, uh, there's still contact, but um, I think the connection from those days has kind of drifted with the older people. But we all from this, you know, that's my Shapiro strain. Um, there were four brothers that came out here from Russia. And, uh, you know, my grandfather was one. His Jonathan's great-grandfather was the other brother. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Mm. So you are related, and you enjoy a bit of drawing yourself. So obviously that gene I, runs I was in the good. family. I was. Yeah. I had two exhibitions. What are you talking? Oh, wow. I had an exhibition. Yeah. Of of my caricatures and cartoons, and they were mainly caricatures. They were much more serious. But I drew for a lot of magazines. You know, I've got an FM cover. I've got a. You know, you know, it used to happen. God is that. <laughs> On the FM, they had a, a, um, a cartoonist or, or a caricaturist by the name of David Gaskill, who's no longer with us. Mm. And old Gaskill used to have one too many toots and then would suddenly crash his car or fall over or something. And then they were <laughs> desperate and they phoned me up saying, please, we need a cartoon or please, we need the caricature. You know, so I was like, I, I used to come off the bench and help them. Okay. Uh, but um, I used to draw quite regularly back in the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, and it's, it's very difficult today because it takes up so much time, but I still draw. You know, yeah. I still draw. Fascinating. Oh, it's a wonderful way to, to, to spend some time. Um, we're drawing near to the end of our allotted time, David. Unfortunately, it's been a, such a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, but before we wrap it up, where to next for David Shapiro? I mean, you said you're not, you're not planning to retire anytime soon. You're still fit and healthy and in showroom yeah. condition, as I said. I mean, surely there must be a publisher itching to get an autobiography out of you, given that you've been on the JSC for 50 years now. You know, it's funny that you say that because... There's so many stories that are going to be lost. And they're not my stories. They're stock exchange stories. You know, there's mm. so many characters. And it's a pity because it was such a, 
colorful time. You know, it was the mining, uh, mining camp uh, stories that uh, we're going to lose. And I think that's very sad. I haven't seen any books. I haven't seen any publications, um, you know, about the market. Those that have been published have been very dour and dry and they've been taken from minutes, you know, of meetings and, and so on. But I, th I'm, I fear we're going to lose it. And I suppose somewhere down the line, um, I would love to interview so many of the, you know, chaps are dying off now. Yeah. Of, of their experiences. It's, I think it, it, it's just, uh, it, it was a magnificent time, not only here, but so many of the stories of the visitors that used to come from, um, you know, from overseas at a time when South Africa was such a vibrant market. But um, yeah, it's, 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 I've always had intentions, but, uh, but I'm enjoying the market too much. And I think one thing that lockdown has taught us, God, I'm not retiring because, <laughs> if I, you know what I mean? If I retire, that's me gone. Yes. So, um, yeah. you know, this, I certainly don't want to take it easier at all. And I'll go on until my brain stops functioning. You know, when I can't, yeah. when I can't remember the shares that I'm invested in, then I know, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Let's hope, David, that, uh, that you're still around for me to interview you for your 60th anniversary on the JSC. Oh, wonderful. Case. Um, but yeah, seriously, the autobiography thing, I think would be amazing. I would certainly buy that. And it, you, mm. it needs to be one of those books that comes out just before Christmas. You know, they love to do yeah. these, uh, come out in October and it's a book that every South African wants to have under the, <laughs> under the Christmas tree. <laughs> when it comes to the stock exchange, I'm not sure it'll have to come with a triple X stamp, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I get a Mac fascinating reading. <laughs> yeah. Oh, with an R rating, what do they call it? With a yeah, oh, age rating. With an R rating. Mm. <laughs> mm. Oh, David, well, it's it's really been a, a superb uh, forty-five minutes speaking to you. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed every moment of this. It's been a great honor and a great privilege to interview you. Uh, as I said, someone that was very inspirational in my early years, uh, and my sort of uh, wanting to get onto the markets. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you for all the insight. Thank you for the years of commentary and, uh, and, and all the best. And thanks again for coming on Talking With Traders with me. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Garth. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.